miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now please be seated for a moment of silence to reflect and meditate on the Word of God. Psalm 16 is a prayer and a song written by David. And we don't really know any context to the psalm. You know, some psalms by David are connected to certain events in his life when he's in danger or running away from somebody. We, we don't know the exact context of this psalm, but we know his primary need and desire right off the bat. Verse 1, preserve me, O God. Other translations say, protect me, O God, or keep me safe, O God. Preserve me, O God. Maybe that's you this morning. Preserve me, O God, my health is failing me. Preserve me, O God, I am discouraged and depressed. Preserve me, O God, it's hard to believe right now, and it feels like my faith is dying. We all face scenarios when we need to be preserved by God, physically, mentally, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. We need to be preserved. We need to be protected by the Lord. Now, this is a church that teaches Reformed theology. This is a church that loves what we call the doctrines of grace, or what some call the five points of Calvinism. Now, Calvinism can be a scary word to some folks, but if you study those doctrines for what they are, they are the most encouraging truths, especially the last one, which is called perseverance of the saints, or what some call preservation of the saints. Preservation of the saints teaches that all those, all those who are saved will always be saved. All of those who are united to Christ by faith, who've been born again by the Spirit, will be preserved by God until the end. It's what we just sang about in the offering. He will hold me fast. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them from out of my hand. Which means that every time we pray, preserve me, O God, that prayer 
is guaranteed to be answered. If you are in Christ and you pray this prayer of David, preserve me, O God, that is a guaranteed answered prayer. He will hold you fast. And that is an incredible encouragement. And you get the sense in this psalm that David knew this. Because after verse 1, the psalm takes a most encouraging turn. It's as if David starts to recount all of the ways that God has already preserved him and promises to continue to preserve him. So what starts as this distressed prayer of preservation then becomes this uh, this reflection, this remembrance of all of the ways that God preserves his people. And that's the main theme for this morning, how God preserves his people. How does God hold on? To his people. And that's what this psalm is about. The first way is people. God preserves his people with his people, he preserves them in community with one another. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, David delights in his fellow believers. He says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. David was encouraged when he was in the presence of other believers. Even David needed a Jonathan. Even your pastors and your leaders, your elders, your deacons, your staff members, even they need friendship. They especially need friendship. So he delighted in fellow believers, and then in verse 4, he separates himself from the wicked. He will not participate in their idol worship or immorality. Because the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. That's what it says in verse 4. So as Christians, we're still in the world. We're not called to create a holy huddle and, and to isolate ourselves. We are on mission in the world, but we're not of the world. We will have friendships and relationships with non-believers. In fact, we should. And if we don't, something is really wrong But as we see in David's delight, that our deepest friendships, our closest friendships, should be with other believers. And when I attended Christ Community Church, it was clear that this congregation loved each other well. They loved me well. They they took delight in me, and I took delight in the people here. I was surrounded by mentors. I had families that let me live in their home during the MAP internship. I, uh, there were families that hosted college luncheons. Older men and older women built friendships with me. They taught me what Christian community really looks like. David delighted in fellow believers. Does that describe you this morning? Do you delight in God's people or do you show up just to hear a sermon, get your religion in for the week, and then make a beeline towards the door with minimal interaction with other people? If that does describe you, you're really missing out on what the Lord has for you with his people. Are you lonely this morning? Do you desire deep friendship and true community? That longing that you have, God has put there, and it will only be satisfied when you have a relationship with Christ and a relationship with his people. God uses people to preserve his people. Christianity is never designed to be a solo project. God has so designed the Christian life to where we cannot grow, we cannot flourish 
without his people around us and supporting us. Now you may say, but I've been hurt by the church. And if that's you this morning, I hear you. And I'm sorry to hear that. The church is a hospital for sinners. And oftentimes sinners sin against other sinners. But the world will hurt you too. And the world has no doctrine of grace or of forgiveness or of true reconciliation. So while yes, sinners in the church may hurt others in the church, the church also knows and has that hope of what true forgiveness can and should look like. So don't give up on God's people. Don't give up on God's people. God preserves his people with his people. Second is presence. God preserves his people with his own presence. Look in verse 6. David says he has a beautiful inheritance. This imagery of, of the lines falling in pleasant places, it, it, it's, a, it's an illustration recalling back to uh, the land assignments in the promised land where the lines would fall on, on which piece of land would go to which tribe. But David here is not speaking merely of land or of material wealth. Look at verse earlier in verse 5. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. David delighted in God's people, but his supreme delight was in God's presence. He writes elsewhere in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is, in essence, saying the words of that great hymn, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance now and always. That is what David's heart is expressing. As believers, God gives us all of himself, and that is what true love is. Love is selflessness. Love is self-giving. And God gives us his very own presence to dwell with us. And one of the greatest gifts of his presence is that he speaks to us in his written word. In verse 7, David praises God for giving him counsel. And you might think, okay, how did the Lord give David counsel? Now, there were times when the Lord spoke to David directly. David was a prophet in that regard. But most of the time, David's counsel was from the written word of God. Many of the books that we have in our Bible, there are many that weren't written yet. But David relied on the Old Testament as it was completed up until his time. That's where he heard the voice of the Lord. David, as king, was responsible for meditating on the word, for obeying the word, and applying the word to the nation. As king, David's responsibilities were saturated in the word of God, and the Lord gave him counsel. So much so, much so look at the second half of verse 7. He says, In the night also my heart instructs me. I don't know if that line sounds bizarre to you, but it does to me. Because that's not how my heart works at night. In the night, when I can't sleep, I'm easily afraid. 
I'm easily anxious. I'm easily, I'm easily worried, worrying about the things that lie before me the next day or the next week. Night can also be figurative for when life is dark. And when life is dark, my heart doesn't act this way. My heart doesn't instruct me in ways of truth. Oftentimes, my heart instructs me with lies. So how did David get his heart to act this way? It was because he was so often in the presence of God, so often meditating on God's word, so often uh, steeping and thinking and reflecting and praying God's word that his heart was marinated in it. And as his heart was marinated in the truths of, God word, and of God's word, even in the night, even when he was exhausted and vulnerable, when his heart instructed him, his heart instructed him truth. The sinful heart does not naturally instruct us with truth, but a heart marinated in the word of God does. How encouraged would we be? How less tempted would we be? How joyful would we be if we meditated on the promises of God? And that made a difference in David's everyday life. He says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, I will never be shaken. David is saying, I live as though God is always present because he is. In reality, it's not David picking the Lord up and putting him somewhere like as if that's possible. To set the Lord before you is really to position yourself in a way to where you acknowledge the Lord's presence at all times. So how encouraged would we be? How, how less tempted would we be? How joyful would we be if we lived as though we were always in the presence of God? Because we are. Does it feel like God has left you this morning? If you are in Christ and you feel that way, it is only a feeling. It is a very difficult feeling. It is a very hard feeling. But it is only a feeling because God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. There were times when David himself felt abandoned by God. You can read other Psalms that are a lot darker than this one. But he knew verse 1 was true. The Lord himself was his refuge. He preserves his people with his presence. Third is person. God preserves us with his presence. And 2,000 years ago, his presence became incarnated in a person born in Bethlehem. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. And we see him even in this psalm. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the apostles. They, they speak in, in tongues. And as a consequence of that, all of the people in Jerusalem who, who gathered from other nations, they all get to hear the gospel in their own language being spoken. And Peter stands up. Peter rises up and preaches his famous Pentecost sermon. And by the end of that sermon, 3,000 people are saved and added to the church. But what's noteworthy relating to this sermon, relating to this passage, is that in Peter's Pentecost sermon, he quotes the last four lines of Psalm 16. And his explanation, especially of verses 9 and 10, is fascinating. Look at the, the second half of verse 9. 
He says, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Sheol is a Hebrew word that represents the grave. It's the place of the dead. But there's a problem. As Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David is dead and has stayed dead for about a thousand years up until Pentecost, and for us here today has remained dead for 2,000 years since. So was David's hope a false hope? Was David mistaken? Is Psalm 16 just wishful thinking, or is it actually a true promise of the Lord? Peter continues in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. He writes, David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the, on the throne... He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he, the Christ, was not abandoned to Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Here's what he's saying. David believed that there was life after death. David believed that there was resurrection on the other side of the grave, but this was only possible because David believed in the Savior. David believed in the Messiah to come. David believed the promise of God that there would be one from his own lineage that would come and rule forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. Even a thousand years before the coming of Christ, David was a believer in Christ. Now, he didn't know all of the details. He didn't know as many details as you and I know about Jesus to this day, but he believed the promises that he had available to him. And because of that, he experienced the same salvation that we do. This is a psalm that Christ himself would have read. When Jesus was walking on this earth, he would have read this psalm. He would have been familiar with this psalm. He would have even sang this psalm as they gathered for worship. And it's a psalm that Jesus himself could sing and pray with utmost confidence. He delighted in God's people. Even so much that even when we were still his enemies, he came down from heaven and died for us. He delighted in God's presence, so much so that he often went away alone to just be with his father and pray to him and be with him. He delighted in God's word and meditated on it so that even in the night of temptation in the desert after being tempted for 40 days, he was able to say directly to Satan himself, he was able to quote scripture three times and say, be gone. Even in the night, even in the darkest night of Gethsemane, as the cross was, as the shadow of the cross was bearing on him, he was able to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And even in the darkest night of the cross itself, even as he's experiencing the bitter 
cup of judgment, even as he's experiencing the wrath of God, the curse and the judgment for our sin laid on him, even during that, he's able to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was able to pray verses 9 and 10 with confidence. He knew that he would not be abandoned to the grave. And Jesus knew that there was resurrection on the other side. And church, if we are in Christ this morning, that truth is the same for us. How do I really know that God will preserve me? Because God preserved Jesus. And if you are a believer in Christ, then you are in Christ. And you will be resurrected too one day. God is not only a savior of souls, he is a savior of body and soul. As, as Joseph mentioned earlier before the confession that, yes, when we, when we pass away, our bodies go to the grave and, and our souls go to be with the Lord in heaven. And that's a beautiful truth, but that's not, that's not the most beautiful truth. The most beautiful truth is that one day as Christ returns, our bodies will be resurrected from the grave, no longer under the curse of sin and death, and our souls and our bodies will be reunited, never to be separated again. God not only promises us a heaven, he promises us a new heaven and a new earth. You can pray verse 9 and 10 for yourself this morning. You know that he will not abandon you to the grave. He will not abandon you to Sheol. He will raise you again. So is your health failing you this morning? Are you feeling the effects of age or disease? Are you required now to take more medication than you ever thought you would have to? Has a scary diagnosis come your way? Or is your health perfect this morning? If it is, don't take it for granted. All of our days are numbered, and any day could be our last. But no matter who you are this morning, if you place your faith in Jesus, you can have absolute certainty where your future lies. And that's what David's getting at in this psalm. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. God preserves us with his people, with his presence, and through a person. But why? What is God's greatest goal for his own people? Why does God go through this incredible display of, of power and of love to preserve his people, to hold them fast, and to rescue them from the grave? Why does God do this? The answer is pleasure. The final point this morning is that he preserves us for our eternal pleasure. Look at verse 9. He writes, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you contrast that with what he says in verse 4. That the sorrows multiply for those who run after other gods. You see, all, all idols promise us is joy. Idols, false gods, false worldviews, they all promise us joy and fulfillment. 
And they always let us down. They always let us down. So the way our heart should respond when we see a culture, when we see a neighbor, when we see maybe a, a, a child or a sibling running after other idols, running after other gods, the posture of our heart should be compassion. Because their sorrows will multiply. They think they're chasing joy and they're really chasing sorrow. And what they're missing out on is the joy and the pleasure of knowing Jesus in a real and personal way. The joy and the pleasure of knowing Christ. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As a college freshman, uh, one day in the college ministry, uh, I believe it was, it was Sam Kennedy, showed a group of us guys a clip of John Piper. And I'd never heard of this guy before. I didn't know anything about him. Uh, but in that video, he said his famous tagline, which is, God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. And this was also the first church where I learned about the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the very famous question one, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is, what is the purpose of human living? And the answer is twofold. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This was news to me. I thought, enjoy him? I'm supposed to enjoy God? Not only that, God, God is glorified when I enjoy him? I thought, this is too good to be true. I don't know if it really is true. But then I came across verses like verse 11. Or I came across John 15 where Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. And then what added to that was I was convinced by the people of Christ's community. They were happy to be Christians. They really knew Jesus. And they showed me that walking with him, though it's not free from sorrow in this life, though there are struggles, though there are many times where you cry out, preserve me, O God, there's still the reality and the joy of knowing Jesus. We can receive pleasure from the presence of God in this life, but it is only an appetizer for what we will experience in all eternity. If you are in Christ this morning, the worst thing that death can do is immediately transport you into a realm of everlasting, full joy. What an incredible hope we have simply by believing and trusting in him. Every time you pray, preserve me, O God, God answers, I have and I will. I've given you my people. I've given you my presence. I've given you my very word. I've given you my son. All for your joy. Let's pray together. Father, what assurance you give us in this psalm. 
but it is, it is so hard to hold on to this assurance, Lord. Our, our hearts are led astray so easily. So God, I pray that you would massage this psalm into our hearts this morning. Be with us who are discouraged, who, who need help, Lord. Preserve us and give us a resurrection hope in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.